Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 69, Seeing Cross-Eyed. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us, from the Power of Change Worldwide Shedquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my main man, my good friend, Jesse Fury. It's been too long. Oh, man, it's good to be back. Even longer than we had intended. Good to be back together here in the shed. All you friends out there don't know this, but we have actually canceled two, not one, but two recording sessions <laughs> because Jesse is not a slacker, but uh, I got the flu, um, which is bizarre because I've never been the flu guy. And uh, two out of the last three years, I've gotten like the devil flu, man. Yeah, like you were, I thought you were going to die. Golly, man. I mean, shivering fevers and like crying like a baby. And my, my wife, she has this uh, wonderful practice of uh, really preventing anyone in our family. Oh, uh, the quarantine practice. Oh, yeah. She, she doesn't get anyone else sick when one person's sick and she's successful at it. But it's not like the Florence Nightingale kind of thing. You know, it's like, and I'm pathetic when I'm sick. Like, I, I need a hug as well as a closed door in Lysol. <laughs> you know? I was like, there's statistics that show that human affection and touch when sick people. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. Nobody's getting this but you. You can um, be sick longer as long as you don't get anyone else That's sick. right. That's the purpose. And uh, no, my wife's great. She really mm. didn't take well, you, care of You me. weren't sleeping out here in the shed, were you? No, I was in our room and she was not in there. Uh. And it was closed off. Kids weren't allowed to come in. Had that in. plastic on the doorway. Yeah. You had to yeah. lift up to get in. Yeah. I didn't even have coronavirus, man. I just had probably whatever flu, flu two mm. or something, what it was. And so... I apologize for the hiatus on the the pod here. We had intended to follow up our discussion of worldview, and as we will today. Um, but Jesse, we missed a lot, man. We missed a lot, and we we had had these plans to do some kind of dis- cultural discussions about like the Super Bowl. We were going to be the most interesting conversation <laughs> about the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show in the week of it, right? We yeah. were like on it, and then I'm like, well, I guess we're not talking about the Super Bowl, and and it's interesting because you know people were. Even in the high school, one of uh, my daughter's teachers, um, she told the teacher that, you know, her brother didn't watch the halftime show. He chose not to. And uh, and the guy was like, why? Because of their bodies? And I was like, yeah, he's 13. He just didn't want to look at their butts, you know? And Tommy did. He's like, Dad, do we have to watch this? I don't I don't feel this is respectful to watch these women. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want Way to go, with. Tommy. And we watched like the Puppy Bowl or something on the, on the mm. Animal Channel. Mm. Um, but even seeing some of those discussions online, you know, it's like, it's an interesting cultural moment, you know, where it's it's free and liberating to kind of be naked on TV or something or shake your butt. And um, obviously, uber talented people. They right. Look, they just look right. amazing. Obviously, J-Lo, I mean, she's keeping it together like nobody's business. But She's 50? She's like 50, right? It's gorgeous still. And so, but other people didn't understand why uh, folks wouldn't want to look at that, you know. And, and certainly, I didn't put it before my son. I was really, really actually proud of him. He's like, Dad, I don't, I don't, I don't think I should watch that. But anyway, the Oscars happened. Did you, are you an Oscars guy? We used to have friends that watch Oscar watch parties. Yeah, and stuff. we don't, we don't do the Oscar. You know, Jenny and I try to watch, um, an occasional award show so we can, I don't know, get the feel and the flow the of what's happening. Part, yeah. And, and, uh, and figure out if maybe there were some good movies we missed or, um, yeah. So, so we did watch some of it. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of on in the background while we were, um, we were doing something. I think Jenny was baking bread and I was probably just 
zoning out. But I was probably shivering and sucking my thumb alone <laughs> on NyQuil. Oh, I'm not, I'm, I was probably praying for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> the president got impeached and put on trial. Did and, he, though? And, and acquitted, <laughs> apparently. All that happened, and we didn't talk about that. And probably elections happening. The, 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 the Iowa people, you know, I guess they, they know how to count the corn combine yeah, production, yeah, but yeah, they're having not. a hard time with the, the ballots with the ballot or something. And yeah. And I guess Bernie Sanders said, if you're a Democrat, you, you, you must be pro-choice that came out. And oh so, no, I'm not a Bernie bro anymore. Yeah, Bernie, Bernie bro. So it's interesting, <laughs> but I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on the number. Uh, as we begin here today, before we get to our shoot, main topic, and I know I know some podcast professionals say, "Get right to your topic, get right to your special guest, get right to your thing." We like to uh, we like to ask each other about numbers. Yeah, we like to ask <laughs> you about, about like you. So this number I want to ask you about is forty seven point two. Forty seven point two. Yeah, and it's not forty two, which is the meaning of life uh, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right. by yeah. Doug Adams. But it's it's Couple an inter- it's an interesting number to me because I will be forty seven point two next month. You're kidding. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. So is this just about you? No, it's not. There's research that just came out recently, Jesse, about the U-curve related to human happiness. And this has been studied across civilizations and cultures, and so not just in kind of industrial information kind of cult- cultures, but also every culture in the world, that there's a U-curve related to happiness where you know, you're know you young and ambitious and you're like fired up for life, and then it kind of goes downhill from oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you get older in life, it picks up again. And like in, when you're a grandparent or something, you're rolling, you got your little okay. new Cooper Mini or something because you don't have to pay <laughs> college bills or something. You know, you're happy you or something. You don't have to tow anybody so. around. You can trade in the minivan for the Cooper. That's right. So, so uh, officially in Western civilization, the low point for human happiness is 47.2. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So, oh, so get okay. This. And you're about to be 47.2. Next month. So oh, I, we need to throw a party. So for you. I know it's downhill. A sadness for, party. Well, you only have one more month for downhill. at least one more month. So you're actually in the in oh, the, I'm in in the down. You're right at that now. bottom transition. Yeah. See, oh, I've so, got seven more years of. So this is my way of discipling down. you that it, that it's only <laughs> going to get worse. It's only going to get you worse. Be kidding me! And now my son. Because uh, my son oh, is the witty kid in our family. People don't know that because he's shy and quiet when they first meet shy. him. But he's uh, he's super funny okay. and super witty. And he'll just stop me in the hallway and point at me and go, Dad, 47.2. <laughs> I'm not forgetting about you. <laughs> yeah, we need to have a we need to have a party for you. A peak misery party. <laughs> we could have a 47.3 party for when it starts yeah. picking back up. Yeah, the happiness curve. Like I'm going mm. up the roller coaster again towards uh towards joy kyleen actually told me when i was sharing this with my whole family see guys this is why i get discouraged in life i'm bearing everything (laughs) and i'm at 47.1 and she's like dad but you know the lord that's got to make a difference doesn't it i was like it has to it has to but think about how much more miserable you would be reed hold on to hope kyleen said to me she said hold on to hope. Well, today we're talking about seeing cross-eyed, and that's not referring to what happens when I'm going to get older here. Uh, but our our last episode, episode 68, we called Seeing Through the Eye, where we talked about that everyone has sets of convic- convictions, commitments, uh, ideas, you know, we could call it world and life view, um, that people adhere to, that they've inherited, that they've maybe thought through, 
and have by, you know, some sort of intellectual persuasion or conviction. And then as a Christian, you know, we, we kind of just use the kind of fourfold kind of reform schema, if you will, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that God created the world, the world is broken and fractured and not as it should be. Redemption has come through the person and work and action of Jesus Christ, who's then bringing the kingdom of God, right? And the end of all things is optimistic, right? It is a U-shape. Hold, hold on to hope. <laughs> hold on to it's hope. It's going back up. The resurrection, right? When down in the grave, 47.2 Yeah, 47.2. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. The, rise grave, again. the tomb is empty. That's right. 47.3 so, is right around the corner. So, right. So, so. What happens though, in in a macro sense, in civilizations, right? Um, people and ideas and things are always moving, and certainly um, shifts in ideas sometimes take time to uh, work themselves out into right onto them streets, so to speak. So we could talk about, and we will a little bit, Jesse. You're going to lead us, I think, in some discussion Ooh. about intellectual shifts, but you know. Friedrich Nietzsche can in the 19th century or something say God is dead and, you know, how all meaning is kind of what are we going to have to create, what festivals of atonement, what kind of sacred games are we going to have to create for ourselves uh, to be worthy of such a deed, a murderer of all murderers, putting God to the death that he bled, uh, to, bled to death under our knives, the philosophers of the West who may be existentialists, atheists who said there is no God, what then do we do? Well, that's ideas. Those ideas take a while to get into life of everyday people. And those shifts, I think, in Western civilization, we're seeing more and more and more. Because, you know, America, it's it's easy to say, like some people erroneously say, America was founded a Christian nation. Don't, be, don't get mad at us if you think that. America was founded a, a republic, and it had multiple wings. It had a uh, certainly a religious freedom move and certainly a belief in divine providence. That's all over the documents. You can read that. All the proof that people go to, the American Christian nation, is there. But also on enlightenment rationalism, certain ideas of government, the throwing off of the divine right of kings that kind of happened in the revolutionary period, both in our country and uh, places like France. But But even then... Most of the worldview of those who weren't Christians were probably deistic or uh, had the idea that God was real, the universe was created by God, that God was still the judge of even all things, even if maybe less involved in the day-to-day, and that somehow people respected and feared God and what they did in their actions, right? Um, even if they weren't quite sure about that. Families, uh, you know, involved men and women, moms and dads, parents, children, grandparents, those kinds of things. And so... Yeah, so it, it, even to the point where uh, there was a created order and our job was to find it and fit into it. That's right. Even for the Enlightenment deists. Yeah, and, scientific yeah. enterprise, you know. Right. Um, many would say we're thinking God's thoughts after God. Um, we're discovering rationality because it was created by a rational mind. Right. Even if it wasn't like Orthodox Christian theology, it was still these kind of major ideas that the world was created with meaning, purpose, morality, and our, our role was to find our, how we fit into that. Um, well, shifts in the way we see culture, I think, have been represented well by two articles that I came across this fall, uh, this past fall, fall of 2019 in September, by a staff writer named Derek Thompson, who's kind of a self-proclaimed millennial, I think, who, you know, is thinking about trends uh, in society. He's a staff writer for the Atlantic magazine. And so 
I'm calling this episode uh, Seeing Cross-Eyed because, one, people in America are seeing, seeing in kind of a British way cross with each other. There's kind of enmity or hostility. But also we have certain aspects of kind of those old American assumptions maybe about the universe that are still held. Uh, and then others that have been either consciously or subconsciously jettisoned or no longer believed. Uh, and then we're not, we're not seeing straight. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, we need to return to the old way or something. Obviously, we're Christians. We would advocate returning to the way of Jesus. That's our position. But in our society, even if that weren't the case, right, we don't seem to have a way together. And that seems to be a problem. And the loss of certain religious beliefs and, and concepts is certainly affected that. Now, so the first article, and we'll have this in your show notes for you guys by, by Derek Thompson. This was in, I believe, late September uh, 2019. Uh, an article called Three Decades Ago, America Lost Its Religion. Why? Now, for me, Jesse, Jesse, you and I have talked about this, right? Um, the rise of the nuns. Right. In this case, not the ladies living yeah. in a convent. Yeah, not, not the habit. Not the, right, yeah. right. Not like sound of music, right? Uh, nuns. But I, I, I did, I did mention this in a church announcement once recently, and I said, "Hey, the fastest growing American in, in the American religious landscape, the fastest growing demographic are the nuns." And and uh, imagine two hundred people trying to like figure, figure out, out if what you I'm, meant in you in s or in o one hundred percent of them thought I meant in you in s right but I didn't mean that <laughs> and nor did I understand why that they were looking at me like and then they started to chuckle and I was like why are you guys laughing at me right now She's and like then I the, realized oh no no like no affiliation <laughs> right right and not the not the comment so the pew 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 religious survey from the religious uh, trust obviously has been doing this uh, study of the U.S. population, of how affiliated people are with various religions. Are you Roman Catholic? Are you Jewish? Are you some sort of Protestant, uh, some sort of evangelical religion? And there's been a rise in those who claim unaffiliation. And so in this article, there is a, a graph of this on the general social, social survey from 1972 to 2018, where in 1972, the year um, almost 47.2 years ago, um, when I was born, five percent of the U.S. population identified with no religious affiliation. This doesn't mean atheism or any kind of uh, statement of belief or non-belief, but rather um, no affiliation with some sort of organized or formalized religion. And that number from 1972 to probably about 1991 stayed between five and and eight percent. In fact, it was six percent in 1991. Well, over the last three decades, it's gone from 6% to 23%, right? That is what you mean about the highest growing portion. Again, not atheists necessarily. Some would may say spiritual but not religious, but unaffiliated. And so the interesting thing about this article and some of the research that this article cites is that it's asking the question, what happened in 1991? I mean, I graduated from high school uh, I think the first Iraq war um, was around that time. I went to college, uh, and I became a Christian after that, like 1992 is when I became a Christian. So, But what happened in those three decades? Now, this is a quote from the article who's citing a, a, a sociologist that some of you may be familiar with. Uh, he was involved in writing a book called Divided by Faith about race and understanding in America by Christians, uh, a man named Christian Smith. And the, the article quotes him this way. According to Christian Smith, a sociology and religion professor at the University of Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, 
a French team. Um, America's non-religious uh, lurch has mostly been the result of three historical events. The association of the Republican Party with the Christian right, the end of the Cold War, and 9-11. And so um, whether or not we accept that as why the nuns have risen so much, the influence kind of that he's trying to get after is this. Um, if someone is nominally Christian or maybe uh, a subscriber to more leftist ideas and philosophy, liberalism perhaps, um, these people have become affiliated when they see kind of an alignment of certain public Christianity with the Republican Party. And so um, this is where some other uh, studies have said, well, Christianity is not dying in America. It's it's nominalism uh, that's dying in America. But even you mentioned some family members of yours, that's right, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got family members who... Uh, the biggest barrier to trusting Christ wouldn't be necessarily trusting Christ, but would be um, thinking that by trusting Christ, it, it would mean uh, changing political parties, uh, well, to come over to the bad guys, um, you know, and all that the religious right and, and Republican Party is known for among, you know, people on the left. Yeah. And so if you're a left person or a right person, Democrat or Republican, we're not making political statements with this, but we're saying that the, the, that many people seeing that tight affiliation would say, well, I'm out on that. Yeah. Like out, out in the street, in the real world, this does seem to be, this has some explanatory right. power for me to think through. Right. This is a big barrier. Like I, if I'm, if I'm going to do work with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus and they're, uh, they're more on the left side of things, I need to remember that this is actually for them a big uh, allegiance shift. That's, that's right. not just about Jesus as King, right? In their mind, their it's mind. Also, yeah, like, yeah, it's also do I need to become a Republican? That's right. Yeah. Um, after planting and pastoring in New Jersey for almost a decade, we were up in New Jersey this past weekend celebrating a ten-year anniversary of our church. It's actually a little older than ten years now, but this is the first time we could get together. And in our county, we had, you know, in our local township I lived in, there was no elected Republicans, right? And so you you ministered to everyone, and you certainly didn't want to be seen as a partisan politically in the name right. of Jesus, right? Because that would have been un, uh, very unhelpful, actually, to mission. So the second one was a weird thing that uh, Christian Smith, sociologist of Notre Dame, uh, cited, the end of the Cold War. And this is interesting, and, and we have to go back a little bit to kind of get the feel of this, because we're young for this, and certainly some of you listening to this are young for this. You know, Jesse and I grew up in an era where the, the Soviet Union, right, uh, was a communist, officially atheistic um, empire with rapid expansion uh, aims from uh, World War II onwards, specifically, that largely was opposed by the United States. And a lot of people don't know this, but the uh, Pledge of Allegiance was, uh, I think, under Eisenhower. I don't want to misquote that, but I think under Eisenhower was changed to one nation under God. Now, of course, I don't have any problem with that. I say that happily. Um, but this is a contra contraposition against right the evil kind of atheistic empire right. in this identity of godless versus God-fearing, uh, was kind of a big deal, even even such that uh, uh, the, even in the space race, uh, right? The first uh, Soviet cosmonaut, you know, was quoted as saying, I, I went to space. There's no God up here either. Right. And of right. course, uh, the Apollo 8 astronauts that I believe in 2018, we celebrated 50 years of the first time anyone ever see a, saw an Earth rise. Right. Go around. Right. And you see the Earth all of a sudden. 
um, these pictures we take for granted <laughs> that we uh, that we put on our iPhones of the planet Earth from space. Right, no, nobody right. had ever literally ever seen that. Seen that, and so of course those astronauts uh, read the Book of Genesis and said, "God bless, God bless everybody on God's good Earth," and in a kind of an emotion of gratitude to God. So this kind of grand atheism versus uh, God godliness or godlessness and God fearingness was a big deal geopolitically. And a lot of us don't realize that, and that certainly evaporated in right, the late had, '80s, early '90s. We had we had a bad guy that That's we right. could we could unite uh, That's right. yeah, That's under right. God against. Yeah. That's right. And 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 then nine eleven. Of course, right? now we have a different bad guy, which the, these these folks are in the name of God. Right. 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 Blowing up buildings, and certainly the rise of the new atheism and the literature associated with that. For instance, a friend of mine who's a, a high school, private high school English teacher in in Massachusetts Metro has. His uh, students read Sam Harris's letter to a Christian uh, nation, which is a polemic, right? Uh, a polemic is like an aggressive uh, attack piece almost as a polemic against belief in God and a plea to Christian America not to believe in God. And so these three movements, although, you know, you can debate them or I think it, you know, if you look at trying to explain the last three decades and the rise of the nuns uh, and why people would disaffiliate from organized religion, uh, these three things uh, certainly um, seem to be interesting, at least, yeah. uh, discussion points. And so that article uh, ends this way in looking at, okay, if we have a group of young people that are trying to navigate the world without these kind of handholds of creation and, and purpose and things like that, what what happens then? And so um, Derek Thomas's article reads this way, although belief in God is no panacea for these problems, societal problems, religion is more than a theism or more than just believing in God. It is a bundle. It is a theory of the world, a community, a social identity, a means of finding peace and purpose and a weekly routine. And then he says this, those like me who have largely rejected this package deal often find themselves shopping a la carte. That's a good American thing to do. Go shopping, right? Uh, shopping a la carte for meaning, for community, for routine to fill a faith shaped void. Mm. Their politics is a religion that would explain both young people on the left and the right, right? Their work is a religion, that explains Silicon Valley. Their spin class is a church, right? And not looking at their phone for several consecutive hours is called a Sabbath. Sabbath. American nuns may well build successful secular systems of belief, purpose, and community. But imagine what a devout believer, maybe like you, Jesse, might think. Millions of Americans have abandoned religions only to recreate it everywhere they look and certainly if you've seen a rally of like something like antifa or the 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 strong strident resistance to our current president or the strong vitriolic support of our president you do see kind of this religious zealousness forming around things that maybe weren't the ultimate things in the past for people where maybe uh god country family uh, had a, a stronger purpose, and now we're left fighting it out in the streaks behind this. Now, why why is this, right? Why This is where we are with many people heading away from religion, um, but yet we're still very um, committed. We're still devote, devotees to various things. A couple reasons why I think this is. The first one is that human beings 
are really not just homo sapiens or thinking beings. We are homo adorans. We were created by God to be worshiping beings. Mm. And we don't, like G.K. Chesterton said, the problem is when we disbelieve in God, it's not we believe in nothing. It's that we believe in anything. In other words, worship goes cross-eyed. Worship goes everywhere. And certainly intellectual shifts moving things from the, the world as it is, as it comes to us, maybe from God, to ourselves has been an intellectual shift that's taken many t- years and I've, that you've even shared your teaching some in some seminary students yeah. in class. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in first, actually, let me circle back around to say that um, it, the, the idea of we are worshiping creatures is what makes, um, whether or not like you, you agree with everything he writes, uh, it does make Jamie Smith's projects so engaging and, um, uh, and I think worth reading and wrestling with as this James K. Smith. Yeah. That's the author name. Jamie's what his friends call him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And people who have met him once. Um, uh, (laughs) that's right. Yeah. James K. Smith. So he's got a, uh, three, three book, uh, cultural liturgies, set and then and then uh the popular level one is uh help me out you are what you love yeah you, you are, are what you love. love uh um compelling and those that. books are great it's yeah postmodern book and yeah, not so much yeah <laughs> we're not yeah. yeah who's afraid of relativism yeah yeah, yeah. who's afraid of postmodern oh is that yeah. the one okay yeah so, yeah um uh yeah so so um i did just w- work through this in a class on discipleship and so in an interesting move i decided to start off by um by giving some Essentially, uh, coming at it like uh, uh, when we think about our discipleship or our, our um, becoming more like Christ formation. together, our formation, um, uh, we uh, to, to borrow from uh, uh, the the commencement seat, uh, uh, David Foster Wallace's commencement speech at Kenyon College, which is worth a read. I think it's it's published as um, Water. This is Water. Maybe we can get that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his his idea there is that we're like fish swimming in water that don't realize that, that we're in water, right? We see through it, but we don't we don't recognize that this we're actually shaped. Everything our whole life is about this stuff that we don't even we don't even notice. Uh, I wanted to do a quick survey of um, how, how we got to a place where where we are now, and so here's where I started. Read. Um, I started by saying, uh, really, the ancient world was. Uh, was really committed to this idea of telos. So telos meaning um, an aim. Greek or, word for aim or yeah, goal or yeah, end goal. of something, yeah. And so Aristotle, I, I've got kind of key figures here. Aristotle standing as a key figure that uh, eudaim, eudaimonia is the telos of humanity. Eudaim, good life. This is happiness or good life. Flourishing is maybe a better way to... Uh, Flourishing according to virtue, right? That's the, right, yeah. The aim of humanity. That's right, and... Uh, and, and in a in a pithy way, I would sum it up by saying, um, uh, for him, it, it would be in accordance with virtue and uh, so virtue and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he, he does say like you you do have to have your you do have to have your stuff cheeseburgers. Yeah, you yeah. you need to have um, external goods that are that are available. But then also when your when your life lines up, and, and you get the idea there from. Uh, the um uh the the idea of the the telos of the acorn is an oak tree that yeah. so for for him and for the greek system of thought you have this idea that there's a created order and things fit together and when things are going in the direction of their telos right uh they're 
they're going to be happy. Yeah. You know, they're they're, they're going to work well. And the Christianized version of that is like when we conform to God's purpose or design. Right. For us. Right. So I have Augustine standing there as the as and he's the, he's my he's the good guy uh, because he's he's got te- it's still telos right for Augustine and the tradition following Augustine life is still about participating with God. Uh, in fitting into his, his order, only now his the way we fit in is to love him and love our neighbor. Right. And so flourishing is found in resting in him, loving him, loving neighbor. But it's still all with this kind of we're, we're we ha- we fit into something. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and we and we get our meaning from outside of outside ourselves. of ourselves. Yeah. This reminds me of the um, example that Ravi Zacharias gave from a baseball umpire. Uh, that there's an external world with reality that we fit into. He goes, in that world, the baseball umpire says, there are balls and there are strikes, and I call them as they are. As they are, yeah. Right, right? that it's a real thing. I see them. I say, yes, that's what that is, and I align to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that way of thinking really stood in, in Western thought. That's a thousand-year reign right there. I mean, that you got Aquinas in there who who maybe makes a shift from um, from telos is loving God to telos is knowing God. So there's some there's some shifts going on, but but by and large we're still we're still uh, about our aim and how we or, fit. Or in we're like seeing God, like seeing a vision God, yeah. of God, which meant yeah. to know God. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, understanding Him would be yeah. another way that he would he would talk about that. And then there's a there's a seismic shift, right? And so so I use Descartes there as just a mm-hmm. kind of you could use Francis Bacon or whatever, but Descartes got the the catchy. Uh, Kajito ergo sum. That's right. Yeah, which I'm going to translate as I think, therefore I am. Right. So now you got a guy who's going. Um, you know, if I'm going to doubt everything, I can doubt. The one thing I can't doubt is I'm doubting. I'm doubting. Yeah. yeah. And so, so now what's happened is the shift isn't just from God to man; it's actually from telos to uh, origin or epistemology. Uh, so now the shift has actually been been taken out of the realm of what what am I made for. Right. And, and brought down to the realm of uh, who am I? What can I know? What can I know? What? Yeah. How? How can I know things? And so, but but it's still tethered to God and His created order, just like our founders of our nation, yeah. right? They're still, yeah. Even a skeptic or, or a mentor to the skeptics, like Immanuel Kant, who uh, he he wrote in, I think, in the Critique of Pure Reason. Sorry, it's not in the notes, but he said, all of my thinking, both speculative and practical, boils down to these three questions: What can I know? What ought I to do, and in what may I hope? But it's not like so much. Um, it's more of like this: What can I know? Yeah, there's, and it's how do there. I know? Right. And, but it's hard, and there's a process, and and that gets boggy, so to speak. Um, and and the idea that you could know the, the true, the right, and the good, and conform to it more creates no. It's the pursuit of trying to know the good, right, and true that more matters. Right. Right. And and then and then of course from enlightenment or modernity. Uh, finally, we shift to post-modernity. Nietzsche is a good enough stand in there for anybody. Uh, he's got enough pithy quotes to to you know stand in there like yeah. God is dead, um, or that uh, meaning has been uh, buried. Oh, and bring our baseball umpire back in real quick yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for the Kantian yeah. or the modernist. There are balls in their strikes, and I call them as, as I, I see them. them right, oh, yeah, so the yeah. seeing process. Yeah, right. right. So there. Yeah. Okay. And then so now now we find ourselves with Nietzsche. We've got perspectivism, will to power. Uh, we're still we're still obsessed with epistemology, with with knowledge, but now it's untethered to God, untethered to telos and aim, untethered to created order, self defined, autonomous, expressive, uh, and really results in a lot of power struggles. Where yeah. 
Um, no, Truth is not seen as out there anymore. It's seen as used against right, people right. in power. And, 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 uh, and even like in a practical sense, having a conversation or a debate or an argument with someone is no longer like two people that are working towards some uh, some to place like some, yeah. like truth, but now it's a power struggle. It's yeah. uh, exerting. I'm gonna and it, and there is kind of a zero sum game here yeah. because uh, and there has to be oppressed or oppressor. Right, right, yeah. There, it, it, nobody, no, you can't have two winners. That's right. Um, and so, so really, all I was doing is working through this to say, hey, uh, in in Christian formation, I'm trying to with with people that I'm working with, trying to. Uh, open the eyes to say, we actually, I think, need to get back to thinking about telos. Like, yeah. what what did God make us for? Yeah. Not just uh, this kind of a la carte way of picking and choosing what I want to do in order right. to become more, I don't know, holy Be- or something Because like that. if there are things that are good, right, and true, we want to uh, not only discover them, but align ourselves align, right, to them. Right, right. And the, the, the Nietzschean baseball umpire, I think this one's funny, Jesse, is that they ain't nothing till I call them. Oh, that's like every umpire. And that's yeah, that's the power, right? <laughs> right, that's yeah, like I I'm, give meaning to this. I, I, it, I'm powerful right, over that. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If the, it goes over the plate, that doesn't make it a strike. What makes it a strike is if I call it a strike. Yeah, yeah. if I say it. And then the, the, the one who's being oppressed there, mainly the batter that's called out, he breaks his bat, yells, screams, and that's all he can do, right? Yeah, yeah. and of course this puts us in a place which the, these articles you're, you're drawing attention to highlight, which is that we are still created with a telos. We're still created with an order. We're still created to, to find our meaning. Yeah. But now we've become the sources of our own meaning. We've right. become the... In the traditional, maybe American sources of meaning, like God, family, religion, are maybe crumbling in people's right. eyes. Right. And then what's left? What What are the truths that we hold self-evident, right? If if America was founded declaring its independence from a from an empire run by a king, holding self-evident truths, what are the ones we hold self-evident today as a people? And the the, the question we'd probably say is is who knows? Our right to say stuff, you right? Know? Yeah. Um, some of the things in the Bill of Rights, maybe some 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 not so much. So so what's happening in that that bog of confusion? The second article that I wanted to highlight from the same author in the Atlantic that was called this. Well, let me get the, the elite failure has brought Americans to an edge of an existential crisis. And the subtitle was the nuclear family, God, national pride are the holy trinity of American identity. What would happen if a generation gave up on all three? Mm. Now, a 75-year-old or 80-year-old kind of American Christian, say, or American Jewish person, perhaps, would say, if family God and patriotism died, that, that, that probably sounds terrifying, right? If a generation gave up on all three, what does that look like? Well, uh, Derek Thompson is very honest at the end of this article, and he says this, anxiety Depression, suicidality have increased to unprecedented levels amongst young people. He quotes that statistic. Meanwhile, deaths from drugs and suicide, so-called deaths of despair, which are concentrated in the white working class, have soared in the past two decades, recently reaching the highest level ever recorded by the federal government. Across generations, Americans seem to be suffering from and dying from new levels of loneliness in an age of crumbling institutions, right? So that's a, the depressive line that we get to, uh, come, let's wrap up our podcast on the gospel <laughs> underground today. People are depressed, we're, killing we're, each this other. Is 47.2 yeah. right here. Yeah, 40, we're at the low point. Or, you know, 
you know, gun violence in America or opioid crisis right, in America right. or suicide amongst young males in particular, the statistic is the highest. So over the coming weeks, here we're going, guys, on the Gospel Underground. We're saying, look, these things have become unhinged for a generation of people. Um, unhinged from telos, design, meaning, what does that do to us as a people? And as Christians, Jesse and I are followers of Jesus. We believe in creator. We believe that man is sinful and separated from God. We believe in redemption, that uh, sinners can be forgiven, changed, and restored, and the kingdom coming, and that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds and transformed to the image of Jesus, who is the invisible God in bodily form. Uh, if, If we're Christians, how do we see things currently in Western secularism? And then maybe look at how these two things stack up together. One of the most interesting books that I've probably read in the last two decades, Jesse, was uh, called The Question of God. It was by a man named Armand Nicoli, who's a professor at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And he had this uber-popular class, and it was this, the subtitle of the book is Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis Discuss God, oh, yeah. Sex, and the Meaning of Life. Okay. Right? God, Sex, and the Meaning of Life. Pretty big things. And, of course, the kids at Harvard flocked into this class. Right. Uh, so he turned it into a book. But what he does is then source material, Sigmund Freud, uh, Freud, if that's a little movie reference for you guys, old people, um, Sigmund Freud um, was an atheist. Uh, C.S. Lewis obviously was an agnostic, converted to Christian atheist, converted to agnosticism, to Christianity. Uh, it looks at their writings in source, right, on these major life issues. Does it make a difference of how we see the world. Do we see through the eye with the conscience shaped by God, or do we see cross-eyed at each other, uh, making religions out of everything and fighting each other to the death on those altars? So we're going to look at three major things in the next three episodes. We're going to look at first meaning and purpose. Is that important to human life? Is that uh, a struggle amongst Western people today? What does God have to do with meaning and purpose? Second, we're going to look at sexual morality. Is that good for us? Because obviously since the, since the sexual revolution in America, Western civilization, we're throwing off all mores as if it's all arbitrary, choose your own adventure game. Is that a good thing? And then thirdly, we're going to look at families, right? There's some really interesting things writ- written uh, uh, recently by Brooks about the nu- uh, nuclear family and then... Uh, recently replied to, I believe, by Bradley Wilcox from the University of Virginia. We're going to look at that, too, about is there a family idolatry in, in the West, in the church? Of, in that, by that, I mean me, my kids, and that's it. Um, or is there a beautiful view of the family, perhaps a little broader, a little more connected, that comes from the household of faith, which extends through the Old and New Testaments and the people of Jesus Christ? We're going to go... Along those lines, man, you got anything for us no, as we wrap I'm up just, today? I'm excited that we, we're coming back up, man. That's right. And you don't have to go all the way down to 47.2 because you have knowledge now, and you can start stoking your hope so you don't have to go to the bottom of the U-curve. You can head up. That's right. Like. I, ha- I have hope. I don't have to go all the way to the bottom. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks for listening to, uh, with us today, guys. We're talking about worldviews, worldview shifts culture what it means for meaning purpose sex family we're heading that way the gospel underground is a joint production of power of change in the bonhoeffer house we're taking reviews on itunes five stars are still acceptable send your comments feedback questions anything you'd like us to take up here on the underground to info at gospelunderground.org we're a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture we hope to see you out there Peace. peace